This is the Jocko Underground Podcast. Number 28, sitting here with Echo Charlie. Yes. And I was, I got something to discuss broadly that I think is helpful. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's, here's, here's what I'm discussing broadly. I'm not aiming this at you. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, you I'm kind of aiming it at everyone, including myself. Yeah. All right. Here's the deal. You're not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. You're not right. So don't act like you're right. And don't walk around like you're right. And don't treat other people like you're right. I, I see this, this quite a bit. Sometimes I see it for myself. Disappointing. Where you think you're right. I think I'm right. You think you're right. We think we're right. Yeah. And we're not. It's kind of like if you start to pull the, the layers back. It's like jujitsu. Hate to say it, but true. You remember how kind of badass you were, you thought you were, when you never trained before? Yeah, I know what you're saying. You thought you were right. Kinda, yeah. And then the first class, maybe even the first class, you're like, oh, once I learn a couple things, Mm. then I'm gonna know everything. Kind of. I can see how that would be the case, but my unique experience did not. Oh, really, you knew you you knew out of the gate? Yeah, I got beat down pretty pretty continuously. But what about prior to getting beat down? No, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, then you thought you knew everything. Like, I can handle this. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was Daryl Cooper, DC. Sure. He was he was saying that he 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 did the Martyr Made podcast, the first six. It's something like I don't know what are they two or three hours each. So there's I don't know between twelve and twenty hours of him talking about the Israeli Palestinian conflict. And he said he after he read like three books on it, he was like, oh yeah. I know it now. And then he just kept reading and you get different perspectives, different perspectives, different perspectives, different perspectives. And that's what the that's the way it is mm-hmm. in the world. And right now, a lot of people walk around thinking they know things, thinking they know things. Mm-hmm. I do this. I think I know something. And what I'm trying to say is nobody knows. But here's what's beneficial about this. This attitude of accepting that not everyone knows everything is that I don't get mad when somebody thinks they know. It doesn't bother me, you know, because you can let that bother you. Mm, When someone says, no, it should be like this, and you know, you know they don't know. There's no way they could know. And I think this is leading to a lot of the divisiveness in the country, in the world, because everybody thinks they know. And then they think they back it up with with experts or science. The science one's a big one. Both both sides of every argument. The science says this, well guess what? I can find you some science that says something else. And I'm not just talking about Echo Charles bro science. Sure. <laughs> I'm talking science. And guess what? Science changes. You ever seen those newspaper clippings or old articles? Would that say the opposite of what's happening now? Mm-hmm. Well, there, I saw one that was Ice Age is coming. This is 1973 or something. Next yeah. Ice Age is coming. World temperatures are dropping. Or you see the articles or the advertisements back in the day or even articles that said how smoking tobacco is good for you. Mm-hmm. These are the benefits. Mm-hmm. Science changes. 
but people act like they know with no caveat whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, and that will drive a person crazy. Mm-hmm. It will drive you crazy. It will drive me crazy. If I get, if you say something and I, I think Echo thinks he knows it, I just go, no, Echo thinks he knows it, but he doesn't. So that's fine. Mm-hmm. Articles, journals, right? It, it was in a journal. Okay. So that means you're, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's not true. So let's just put a caveat on things and say, this is what I think right now. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong. And if you approach, people like that and you approach ideas like that, you're probably going to have an easier time. You're probably going to be able to are you're probably going to be able to articulate yourself better. You're probably going to have a more open mind. You're going to have a better it, it ends up being an indirect approach when you discuss things with people mm-hmm. instead of saying that's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. You say, "Oh, I haven't heard that perspective before. Please inform me more." Yeah. But and what's really weird, you start throwing social media into this stuff, it's just a minefield. It's a disaster. Yeah. Because now, not only do I think I know something, but I'm going to tell the world yeah. that I know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they're all going to pile on and tell me why I'm wrong yeah. and attack me and attack my ideas. Yeah. So we don't know anything. Leave yourself some room to maneuver. Yeah. You don't, there's nothing that you can be certain about. Or let me rephrase that. There are very few things you can be certain about. So don't run around thinking you're certain about everything. Because yeah. it doesn't help you. Yeah. Doesn't help you move through the world. Yep. And a lot of people misuse the word science as well. Did I? No, not (laughs) look at that. Look at that. Taco. Technically, hey, I could be wrong. I mean, maybe I could have misused the word science. It's possible. I'm not a scientist. Put it this way: when I think when when people are like, "Hey, the science, the science, the science," right? So you can. I mean, you got to kind of consider what scientific method is. There's like it's a very specific method. Okay, which is. Of course, it's not like perfect. I guess theoretically it's perfect, but okay. it's not perfect because. No, like, it's not perfect. Exactly. Yeah. It's like Case essentially. In point. Right. So Case the, closed. So the part that gets jammed <laughs> up isn't necessary, necessarily science. It's like how good is the scientist or group of scientists? How good are they at implementing the scientific method? And then do they even have enough information to draw any kind of likely conclusion? Right, and even if they draw a likely conclusion, it's still only likely. Yeah. But here's the deal, look. Exactly, yeah. I, I use that, but let's face it, I'm just talking about life stuff, right? I'm talking yeah. about just general human interaction. Yeah. I think I know, yeah. and you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. So leave yourself an open mind. Leave yourself a little room to maneuver. Leave yourself a little room to grow and learn. And when you have to, when you talk to people, you, you ask good questions about what their viewpoint is and try and understand their perspective. Yeah. It's going to make your whole life better. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I guess even my approach in bringing this up, well, you know, you're not right. I'm, it's like, that's that's sort of a, I guess I was maybe I did that for like the shock value of it, yeah, right? Yeah. Maybe trying to make an impact yeah. or make leave a mark. <laughs> yeah. But man, all awesome. oh, this is what I'm really saying. You don't know everything. Yeah. 
The person that you're talking to doesn't know everything, doesn't know anything 100%, and they may act like it. Don't get mad at them. Yeah. Don't get mad at them. Just think, oh, yeah, this person thinks it's helped me. It's helped me discuss things with people, and I go, yeah, you know what? Echo thinks he's 100% right, and I get it. Right. I, I, I'm empathetic to his to his attitude. I get it. He thinks that he's 100% right. Yeah. And he doesn't, unfortunately, it's like, mm, uh, he knows not what he does. He, he knows not what he does, right? Yeah. He just thinks he knows this 100% and he doesn't. So yeah. instead of me getting defensive and going on the attack, how about I listen to what you have to say, ask you some good questions that maybe open up your mind a little bit to seeing a different perspective so maybe yeah. we can find some common ground. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, the um, we a lot of it is wrong. You, you are just like understanding. It's like you're being understanding. You're being an understanding person. Where when you, when you admit to yourself like that, you don't know yeah. for sure. And actually, back to science thing real quick. If you read like a scientific, a for real like mm. scientific journal or piece or something they'll never say therefore the ice age is coming right they'll never say that it'll be like hey this this is what happened and this is what it showed and if we were trying to find out this the likelihood in this study yeah made it that this is the likelihood Not by the of this time it gets thing. to twitter oh no <laughs> by that, the time it gets to twitter yeah. experts oh, yeah. in journals oh, yeah. have said yeah, the ice age is coming exactly right and that's actually exactly right and mm. then that's not to mention like the study and how good it, how well it was done so if they're like oh yeah we had a sample size of a thousand people and we did this and they only did it with a thousand people that lived by the beach <laughs> It's like, well, it kind of, you know, it, it can be skewed in that way and like, or just like the, in, like an incompetent group of scientists, but they're the only ones studying it. So oh, this is the most recent study and all this stuff. And the point is you're correct. Like the science, I mean, I don't know if I'd say it in those words, but you, your point is correct. Like the science can change. Yeah. You can get improved information. Improved it's all within science, but yeah, yeah improved information, I mean, I improved conclusion. There's all the. You know, we, we, we used to think that the universe revolved around yeah, the earth. Exactly. That right. was the science. Yeah. that And the thing is, it kind of is because when you look, when you make certain observations, especially if you're the only one doing it, <laughs> that's what it looks like. That's all the info we have. Therefore, that's the current conclusion, you yeah. know. But then you look more into it, more people study it, like all different perspectives, as yeah. a wise man once yeah. said. You see what I'm saying? You get to know uh, more more of the information. And you, and you start to understand a little yeah, bit more. It's just such a much better approach. It's going to be better for your mental health. And I'm no mental health expert, yeah. but getting mad, getting mad because Echo just says he's certain about something yeah. or getting mad because Echo doesn't understand the, the 100% yeah. factual knowledge that I have. Yeah. Getting mad about those things, not going to help you. Yeah. Yeah, you're a good, you're an understanding person. Mm. Like you're like, oh yeah, just because, and this is hard to do, right? Your emotional kind of state will kind of dictate how you how you handle this. But like when you find something out about somebody and it's something that you for whatever reason feel super strongly, it'll affect how you feel about like everything else about them for some yeah. weird reason. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was talking to, I was working with a client the other day and just trying to give some help in their interactions with people. And I said, uh, you know, you you should do a little bit better of a job of acting like you're not certain about what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of where the subject came from. Because yeah. 
That Wait, who one, said that? I said you that said to that, them. Okay. I said, I said, <laughs> you, you know, I watched him in a meeting, and I said, you know, you should try and do a better job of acting like you're not certain about things yeah. because it's off-putting. Yeah. And then we can get into the whole indirect, direct thing, right? Well, yeah. those, those are the facts. It's like, no, yeah. actually, they're not the facts. They're your perspective of the facts. And there's a 99% chance that's true. But if you want to have the best way of people understanding those facts, then you shouldn't slap them in the face with them. Yeah. It's not going to help them. And people misuse the word facts, too, by the way. True, true. Well, I saw it on Twitter. Facts. Yeah. No, but even people will take like a certain conclusion that yeah. someone made and then be like, that's the fact. When the truth is, it's a fact that that's the conclusion that that person or group of people came up with, but that conclusion is not necessarily the fact. You see what I'm saying? So they'll jam you me up like that, too. Yeah. Do you know that there's people that get angry about this yeah, stuff? Yes, sir, I do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. They freak out. You want to know how sensitive, though, we are, though, in real life? Who's we? Humans? People, yeah. And sometimes I wonder, man, how the heck do we even get along at all? Because, like, I can literally say the same short sentence, and all I have to do is adjust my tone. Or you just have to mishear one word. Or it just takes the smallest little misconnect to make it mean something completely different. And it can mean something like hostile. Like if I say, hey, nice, I was like, hey, that's a nice shirt. If I don't do it in the correct tone, you could take that like a bunch of different ways, mm-hmm. right? As far as potential goes, how the heck are we communicating so well now, yeah. you know? It's kind of like on the street, like in the, um, like on a freeway or on a road when everyone's driving. Everyone has to stay within the lines, everybody. Everyone has to follow the traffic lights. Everybody has to follow them. If one person doesn't, you can jam everybody up. And it happens from time to time, yeah. but pretty rare considering. Yeah. Considering it how is, much you realize. It is kind of crazy that there's 16 year old children yeah. <laughs> with this, driver's license. Yep. They're driving, they got a 350 horsepower yeah. cars oh, yeah. that can, can go 130, 140, yeah. 150 miles an hour. Yep. They and, get motorcycles. And we have and to they, straight and they're out there on a road with, with hundreds of thousands of other cars. Yep. Just daily. With no training. <laughs> very, very little <laughs> training, yeah. All they, I mean, consider a steering wheel. You just got to turn it like five degrees yeah. at the wrong time. Yeah. Well, let's say you have a 15-minute drive. In that whole 15 minutes, if you turn that steering wheel incorrectly, like five degrees for like three seconds or more, you mm-hmm. can literally kill somebody. And now we're trusting everybody on the road. To be <laughs> that you see what I'm saying? I'm just saying, like, when you that's consider it, it's like, bro. Yeah, exact same thing. So it's for men. I'm just saying that's how jammed up we can you can get yeah. with communication. So the more understanding you exercise, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. You know? Th- yeah. That's why they say be a de- defensive driver. You yeah. got to be ready to f- see that five degree mishap coming. So you can you, you can correct, Veer. you can kind of maneuver, yeah. you know. You can you can see their perspective, maybe get out of their way. Exactly right. Because we don't want to get jammed up. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a good technique for that when it comes to communication is just don't act like you're right, and, yeah. and actually, it's not even act. Yeah. That's always that's where you and I have had multiple conversations over the years because y- you'll say something along the lines of, "Well, you know, it can be hard to act like that." It's not, it shouldn't be acting. Oh, yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be pretending. Yeah. It should be, I truly think that there could be another perspective about this that I am open to understanding. Yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. And it'll make your life easier. Then even that, that's just in general, right? That's Because in general. look, because most, let's face it, okay, so in sales, you don't do that. In sales, you do the exact opposite. You better stop, talk with authority. You act like you're right on key things for sure. Like, so if you're like, hey, this car is most likely the best one here. 
pretty much like most likely you know they're gonna be like mm, well, what's the other one most you know it's not like that but if you're like hey this is the best one this is the best deal straight you know like sales is a little bit different you're trying to straight up convince them well, straight there's, up there's different sales strategies and techniques too yeah. right there's there's that there's the high pressure sales that you're talking about, but there's mm-hmm. also people that don't like high pressure sales. And as soon as they hear that, they're like, "I'm out of here. This guy's trying to pressure me." Oh yeah, especially nowadays, huh? Nowadays, Where they like they kind of sure. like how the sales guy is, you know, mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this guy cares about me. Mm-hmm. He's not shoving this and yep. glorifying that and all this. He cares." Like, yeah, that's true, huh? Yep. Yeah. So, that, I think that's maybe an old school methodology, old school. Yeah, more true. direct and a- and offensive. Now it's relationship based. Yeah. What about the guy whose whose philosophy is everything is a sale in life? There's some there's some truth to that because you're trying to you know, what are you trying to do? We're trying to go out for dinner. Okay, I'm talking to my wife. Where do you want to go? Well, I know I want to go to a steakhouse and she wants to go to, you know, get soup. <laughs> get soup. Right? Yeah. So I'm gonna try and sell her on that. I can't order her to do right. steak. Yeah. So yeah, there's some truth to that. I think there's um there's also the whole pathway to go down of what is my goal? Because yeah. if my goal is just to get you to give me your money, and I'm just trying to—that's all I'm trying to do. It's gonna—it's gonna end. T- tactically, short term, I might do okay. Yeah. Long term, I don't have clients. You know, if I rip you off and sell you a lemon car, yeah. cool, made four hundred bucks today. Yeah, but I look up in a year, I don't have any referrals. So I'm better off building a book of business over time. Hey, man, if you got any friends, yeah, this, I don't know if you, that car is right for you. Mm-hmm. How about this car over here? This one's got higher mileage, but the maintenance has been better, and you'd get a good car, and you're stoked on it. Yeah. You know, So I would think that strategically, even then, yeah. be a little bit more indirect. And, be, and also, what's your goals, right? So my goal is just to get your money. Yep. Short, mm-hmm. short term. Maybe good. Yeah. Long term, not going to work good for you. Yeah. You know the kind where when, when someone finally admits that they're not right, mm. and then the other person pounces on them, turns yeah, up the heat. No. <laughs> I'd give them an out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that Unless seems... maybe it's you. <laughs> no, yeah, you don't give me an out at all. <laughs> all right, let's get to some Q&A. Dude. Let's right. get to some Q&A. Next question. Or first question. Put simply, my dad has been defeated by the death of his youngest son, my little brother. He died at 18 years old in his sleep due to an undiagnosed heart condition. He was a great athlete in multiple sports, and his death was totally unexpected. The event has been extremely hard on the whole family. My brother was one year, a year and a half younger than me, and he was my best friend. I was in college at the time, and I went through a solid two years of self-destructive behavior, drinking drugs, bar fights, etc. Fast forward four years now. And I have a great wife, great job, and I'm firmly on the path. My dad, however, is still in in the depths of despair, and I can only imagine his pain and anguish from losing his son. He's an alcoholic, getting drunk on liquor every single night. He's overweight and looks 10 years older than he did four years ago. Although he makes great money, his motivation is zapped professionally and personally. He has become impossible to have a conversation with because he's turned cynical and bitter seems like he lacks purpose the purpose to live before my brother's death my dad couldn't have been a better father he was a great provider for our family extremely involved in our lives and a fantastic role model he's truly a good person with a heart of gold when i was in trouble as a kid my dad utilized letters 
as a form of communication to resolve issues between us. And I think a well-written letter from me would be more impactful than a direct conversation. My question is, what would be a good theme for a letter or overall message to convey? What are some specific things you would recommend I say to help my passage or my message hit home? Any other thoughts would be greatly appreciated. P.S. Discovering the Podcast book played a massive role in leading me out of my own depression. And I sincerely thank you both for that. Um, so I think, yeah, I think a letter is a good idea. And But I also want to say that this is going to be a campaign. One letter is not going to solve all these problems. What I think some of the themes, and I, again, you're in the situation, you need to sort of hone in exactly what the theme of the letter is going to be. Some of the things that I would be thinking about is the the kind of, you know, hey, I'm sorry, right? I'm sorry that this happened. I feel guilty. Why didn't this happen to me? I, I don't know if you have those feelings. I know it's pretty common for people to have survivor's guilt and addressing that and coming clean about it is is something that if you have it would probably would probably um, allow your your dad to kind of understand your perspective a little bit. Another theme that I think could play a prominent role is what choice do we have, right? What, what choices do we have? What, how, do we, how should we live? How can we go about this, right? Yeah, we can drink ourselves to death. Yeah, we can live terrible, miserable, depressing lives. But that's obviously not a good choice. So what's the alternative, right? How about we try and lead a good life? Um, how do you think, another theme, how do you think our, you know, your son, my little brother, how do you think they would want us to live? How do you think that our little brother, my little brother, your son, how do you think he would want us to live? Do you think he would want us to, you know, be drunk and eating pizzas and getting out of shape and, right? These are, these are questions. And you know, one thing that you could do with this letter is you could address the letter from an extreme ownership perspective of, hey dad, how do you think I should live? How do you think, you know, my little brother would want me to live? What choice, how do you think I should live? How do you think I should go forward? And what you're doing is you're asking the questions about yourself but in answering the questions for you, he would be also answering them for himself, looking, they, they would make him reflect on his situation. So I think that's one approach you can take. I think another approach you can take is, look, how, how do we remember him properly? Well, how do we do that? Do we just let his memory fade? Or do we set up some kind of uh, some sort of memorial to him? Uh, you know, if he's a great athlete, how about we do an athletic scholarship? How about we do an annual run? How about we do some kind of a charity for heart research, right? He died of an unknown heart attack or, or, or something like that. Like, what can we do in his name that would be positive in the world? And I think something like that would help your dad, and you nailed it when you said, it seems he lacks purpose to live. I think you're right. 
I think he he needs a mission. He needs a new mission. And and you know, you have a new mission. You have your new mission, which is you have your wife, you have kids, you have your job, you're young, you're growing. His job, you know, you said he's successful. It's easy for him. His wife, your mom, it's like habitual, right? There's no there's no exploration there. His kids, you know, the big joy in life is having kids and raising them, and he lost one of them. That was his mission. Now he's lost that mission. So I think finding him, helping him find a new mission, and again, I think you have to be indirect about this. You don't go to him and say, hey, Dad, you obviously don't have a mission anymore because that's not an approach that's going to work. It's the same thing we talked about out of the gate. Like That's just slapping him in the face. But if you if you start to maybe take leadership and ownership and say, hey, I'd really like to do something for my little brother. I want to have a race for him. I want to have a scholarship for him. I want to do something. I want to memorialize him. And I think that is a good start. And I think getting him to talk and getting him, you know, even if he had to write an article for the memorial run about what his son did and what his son meant, that is cathartic and that will help him. And I think that getting him to talk about it, getting him to write about it is some of the best therapy you can give him. And I think doing some of these actions, like setting up a memorial run or a scholarship or something like that would force, kind of force him to write and think about these things. And I think that's the, that's some of the best therapy that someone can get. I think this is going to be a campaign. I think the thing you focus on the most, the thing you focus on the most is building the relationship with your dad. That's what you have to focus on the most. And as you build that relationship, you can, you know, the goal there is to get him to open up, start, start talking about this stuff. The better relationship you have with him, the more influence you have over him and the more you can move him in the right direction. The, um, I know I, I, on the, one of the podcasts, one of the regular Jocko podcasts, I know I talked about death and, and the, the wave, the waves of emotion and all that. I think that's a good video, good video, or you could write it down or something like that to, to maybe talk about with him at some point, you know, maybe you could say, Hey dad, I, I read this or I watched this. It really helped me. And, and, you know, I just thought if it really helped me out a lot something like that where you get him to watch it you know and um i think that kind of stuff building that relationship where eventually you can show him stuff like that you can you can go into the discipline equals freedom field manual and talk about you know i've got a section there called death because we all are going to face death in our lives and then we're going to face death ourselves um but i would i would Build the positive relationship before you start venturing into those heavy emotional topics. So let's build a relationship. I think writing a letter is good. I don't think it's one letter. I think the first parts of the letter are just relationship building. And then eventually, after you get it built, you start having more influential, more impactful conversations with the old man. Rough. Mm -hmm. Next question. I'm 34 years old and have been a police officer in Pennsylvania for 11 years. I'm married to a great woman and have three chil- and we have three children together. At work, I've been doing well, 
at taking ownership and keeping my emotions in check with both the public and the coworkers. I find at home I have a harder time taking ownership and keeping my emotions in check. I believe this may be due to the fact that I'm more emotionally committed to my family life. And to survive in police work, you have to learn to detach emotionally while at work. What are your thoughts on any or any advice on this situation? Thanks for everything you do. Your books, kids' books included, podcasts, field manuals have improved my life in so many ways. All right, so check this out. You, you, you actually nailed it. You're, <laughs> this is the advice I give all the time. People say, what's the difference between leading a family and well, what's the, how, how do you use the principles different for a family or for a platoon or for a business? Mm-hmm. The answer is, it's the same principles, but with a family, you're going to be more emotional. So you have to learn to, you have to learn to detach more, and and not get emotional with your family. And I'm not talking about not having emotions, right? That's not what I'm talking about. And you you kind of recognize that you don't want to detach from emotionally from your family. You have to do that at work to get through a day sometimes, and you don't want to do that at home. I get it, but Detaching doesn't mean cutting, doesn't mean sever the the strings of, of emotion. It means you you loosen the strings of emotion and you don't let them jerk you around so bad. Think long-term. I think these are some things that'll help you be less emotional. Think long-term, think strategic, think of the example that you're setting for your wife and for your kids. Right, if you're flying off the handle, if you're getting emotional, your kids are gonna imitate that. That's what they're gonna do. As far as the ownership piece, ownership is required for a good family. And by the way, when you don't take ownership and you start making accusations and placing blame, guess what that does? Yeah, it brings out everyone else's emotions. So now we have emotional explosions happening. So think about that. Take, take that ownership and, and yeah, here's another thing, just a little warning. You can go a little too far with this. I remember I've, I said to my uh, my daughter one time, my oldest daughter, you know, I said something along the lines of, you know, this is my fault. I, I, did, I, I did a bad job with raising you in this. And she, oh, so now I'm a bad kid. <laughs> right? I was like, no, I didn't mean that. You know, so she was right there to pounce. <laughs> so be careful of that. But if you say, hey, I don't think I explained this well enough. You don't want to say, hey, I did a bad job raising you. That's why you are a good <laughs> child. So be careful there. But if you say, hey, you know what? This is my fault. I, we need to do a better job. I need to do a better job of explaining why this is important. Boom, here's why it's important. Mm-hmm. Don't go overboard with it. Um, but that's probably a ways off. So yes, utilize the principles. Utilize the principles of extreme ownership, dichotomy, leadership, leadership, strategy, and tactics. Utilize those principles. But you got to detach a little bit more of the family because, well, because we get emotional, because we care about them. Mm-hmm. I know we, I know we uh, might love our coworkers, but even your coworkers, you don't, you're not with them for life. You're with your family for life. So when they start going off track, you get emotional. Mm-hmm. And plus there's that tie, there's an ego tie to it too, right? Like mm-hmm. our egos are wrapped up in our kids. Mm-hmm. And when our kid does something stupid, it reflects on us, and now we're mad at you. <laughs> this is bad. They're your kids. They're gonna not be you. They're gonna do things that, what you know. I remember when my son was a little kid. Occasionally, I have to say, "Oh yeah, hey, he's not a twenty-three-year-old seal." Because yeah, that's yeah. how I would treat him sometimes. <laughs> He'd be looking at me, you know, a little seven-year-old. I'd be like, "Okay, maybe he's not gonna be able to do that right now." Mm-hmm. So, 
check that out. Keep it in check. Um, use the principles. Detach. Remember that example. If you're looking at your kid and you're yelling at him, yeah. that to be a red flag. You're teaching your kid how to yell and be an emotional idiot. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, I feel like sometimes you just just knowing that, oh, yeah, this is more of an emotional environment. Just knowing that, it's yeah, like yeah. you can be on the lookout yep, for it. For better, sure. You know? For sure. It's a good heads up. Next question. I've worked in construction for 15 years, and the cooler weather, I feel great. In the cooler weather, I feel great and have tons of energy all day, every day. But come summer, I feel like the life is sucked out of me. And it's a grind that never seems to improve despite working through it every year. What tips or conditioning techniques do SEALs use to help improve hot weather performance? Um, a bunch. Uh, you know, a couple of things. You know, obviously, drinking cold, cold, cold water. And you're on a construction site. That's one thing that's nice. Like in the SEAL teams, you're out on the field. Mm. There ain't no ice machine. <laughs> so, but if you have the opportunity to drink really cold water, that's really good for you. Um. You know, just try and cool off during the day. I, I think you're going to get acclimated. You, you People get acclimated to the heat over time. Mm-hmm. But if you're jumping in an AC and you're sleeping in the freezing AC and then you're jumping back outside and it's 110 degrees mm-hmm. and then you're back, I, I would just kind of let's taper that down a little bit so we're not sleeping in 62 degree <laughs> degree room at night with the AC cranking. Sleep in, in, sleep in a 75 degree room, in an 80 mm-hmm. degree room where it's warmer. And so your body's a little bit more conditioned to it. Uh, here's here's something we did in the SEAL teams. You specifically asked about this. We would start early in the morning. You start before the sun comes up, the coldest part of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, before the sun comes up, we would usually break in the highest heat, which depending on where you are, that can be different times. And then work again when it gets late, once the sun goes down. Now, in the desert, when the sun goes down, sometimes there's a, a, a little while of dead air mm. and the heat. We used to say the heat, I don't know if this is true, I don't know if this is science, Sure, but it would science. seem like the heat would come out of the ground in the desert. Does this, you're nodding your head like you know what I'm talking about. Uh, is that a thing? I don't know if that's a so thing So maybe around, you know, in the summertime when it, the, light, the sun goes down at seven or eight o'clock at night mm. and then the wind would die. This is out in the desert, yeah. the wind would die. Mm. And then the heat would start coming out of the ground. That seems like it would make sense because usually like the wind is I think sort it of might be just be bro science. Yeah, oh, I, the wind dying is definitely a thing because yeah. that happens when you surf. You, know, you get the ladies late evening glass off sessions, yeah. Lego as we like to call hell it. Yeah, hell yeah. So it, wind dying is definitely a thing. Yeah, but I don't know if the heat comes out of the ground. But although I'll tell you, like even in Iraq, the same thing: sun goes down, wind dies, and mm. then your the buildings start to just. Heat, heat comes out of the concrete. Yeah, I don't know why. So we would try and and work when it's coolest. I know that really seems obvious, but that's what we do: work at night. Mm-hmm. You know, we would walk or carry our rucksacks at night, and then when it gets hot during the day, stop walking, get in the shade, mm-hmm. get in the shade, take breaks. Um, acclimation takes like twelve to fourteen days. Mm-hmm. So, but if you're spending not if you're spending ten hours a day in freezing cold AC, mm-hmm. maybe that's not going to acclimate. Maybe yeah. you might not even acclimate. And then the other thing is, I, I mentioned pre cooling with you know cold drinking freezing really cold drinks, but also you go outside. All right, throw on the cold you know towel over your head, something like that. Throw put your put your shirt in 
cold water and throw that on so you pre-cool yourself. Mm. That's another technique that can get used. But those are some things that we did. Man, stay hydrated. Freezing cold water. Work, work when it's work when it's coolest. When I was in Pop Warner football, mm-hmm. nice. Um, yeah, Pop Warner. So sometimes mm-hmm. we'd have day games. And this is on Kauai, where it's hot and humid, and you were in football equipment. So what I found was night and day. At, at halftime, you drink like an electrolyte drink. In mm-hmm. my case, it was like a Gatorade. Actually, my mom made a custom-made mm-hmm. electrolyte drink. Oh, yeah. See, I was going to say Gatorade. Usually, we would say it's too sugary like too sugary so we would uh we would break it or whatever tone it down put extra water water in it right yeah yeah and then really whatever brand you know you're going for that's up to you obviously um you know on the sugar carbohydrate profile you know but an electrolyte drink Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. um and you know that's part of your hydration methodology and it was like it was night and day one time we forgot it there was a big thermos that my mom made it was like there's a way to make Mm -hmm. an electrolyte Mm -hmm. drink Forgot it mm-hmm. at home, yep. and then after halftime, psychological. Rather, too. The psychological oh, too, it's, bro. It's probably I mean, part it's of it. Placebo sure. is in action too, but yeah. we're no, taking I've, it. This is the science. We're taking bro. the science factually. <laughs> one sample of one for sure. Uh, no, I felt it big time. Like I felt all like just basically exactly what this guy's talking about. Like all lethargic and you know all jammed up. Mm-hmm. But like uh, hydrating. And electrolytes, man, I think so. Yeah, you're going to lose sure. way more of that stuff in the heat. Hydrating for sure. And so, electrolytes, yeah, let's do it. Good point. Forgot about that. All right, next question. Here's a hypothetical scenario, fight scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, both fighters in their prime, both in the same weight class. Let's say about 210-ish. They both weigh that much. Pride FC rules. That's going to depend on what era, mm-hmm. right? True. We'll go 10, 5, and 5. Those are some good rules. Okay. Um, head kicks on the ground, grounded guy, all the, everything goes okay. All day, all day. Vanderlei Silva, mm-hmm. Silva, sorry, Vanderlei Silva versus Don Fry. Mm-hmm. Who wins on a scale from ten to ten? How and how wild would that fight be? <laughs> I realize that this question would be better directed to the grounded podcast, but we, we may grow old and die <laughs> forgetting another. Another. So here Check we are. So understood. Here, I always like that Shot expression. Taken. So here we are. You know, yeah. like that. You know, so when that, they end with that, that I love that. That is a good one. So here we are. Uh, so what do we have here? We have a striker versus a grappler, right? Essentially speaking, we have a striker mm-hmm. versus a grappler. Not that, not that Vandalay doesn't have any grappling at all, and not that Don Fry doesn't isn't a good boxer. But you essentially have a striker versus a grappler. Grappling has a higher percentage chance, in my opinion. Mm. Is that 100%? Nope. There's plenty of grapplers that have lost to strikers. But Vandalay lost to Quentin Jackson. He lost to uh, Chael Sonnen. He lost to Tito. He lost to Tito in 2000. He was kind of in his prime. Would you say prime? Close? Yeah. Close to his prime. What did Tito do? Take him down, ground and pound. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why we know that Tito is not a better striker than Vandalay Silva. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, and then Don Fry, he's, he beat a bunch of strikers, and he's got a tough chin, and he's a good boxer, but he also has wrestling. So, and all that being said, it's MMA. And could Vandalay catch a dude and knock him out? Hell yeah, he could. Mm-hmm. So there's no, way, there's no way of actually knowing this. What's, who wins on a scale of 10 to 10? Yeah, like. What does that mean? 
Like a, you know, t- would it like be out of ten fights? I think out of ten fights, I think Don Fry wins seven. <laughs> prime Don Fry, yeah, yeah, and prime, prime Vondelay, yeah. I think Don Fry gets him to the ground. Yeah, yeah, I think he gets him to the ground, yeah. and he's a good boxer. And so he, you know, Vandalay comes out, throws up, and he's got a hard chin in his prime. So he, Vandalay comes out, throws some sh- shots at him. Don Fry clenches up, grabs him, puts him on his back, hmm. ground and pound. That's what I think. Yeah. I think. Respect. No, look, it's an MMA fight. Yeah. A couple times, three out of 10, Vandalay gets it, knocks him out. That's the way it goes down, in my opinion. But I think when you look at striker versus grappler, you're gonna go with the grappler. The grappler most of the time. Now look, if you have somebody that's a freaking striker that also wrestled in college, i.e. Chuck Liddell, that's a game changer. Because how are you gonna take that dude down? Answer, you're not. You're gonna get punched in the head. Yeah, you're for sure not going to take them down and then ground and pound them. Like, yeah. It's like, you know. So, I don't know. Do you, what, are your, what are your thoughts? I, I think I agree with you overall. To uh, I didn't follow. I followed Don Fry right when he exploded on the scene. Mm-hmm. And then. Then you kind of lost him. Yeah. When he went to Japan. And yeah, stuff. yeah, 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 yeah. And then, uh, so I don't know. But that, that sounds about right, what you just said. Yeah. But, I mean, let's face it. Both those guys <laughs> just are good to go. Getting nuts. You see that one Don Fry against that big Japanese dude. Oh, yeah. When they they punch <laughs> each other in the head 84 times in a row. Like, bro, yeah, that was, that was kind of nuts. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got time for one more. Next question. I grew up in a family that owns a successful contracting business. The men in the family are big, tough welders, equipment operators, farmers, and business owners. I was always on the college boy path but I put in my time on the job site when I was younger and earned a good reputation. Now I've moved to the city to work in finance. I'm in my early 20s with a top flight job, great marriage and wife, financially stable, don't run my mouth, etc. I do masculine activities, jujitsu, hunting. I write this not to be, not to brag, but to point out that I have, I have my life in order in terms of my following question. I've not been home much in the last five years but they know me pretty well. However, when I do go home, my family still treats me like a kid. <laughs> How do I break the barrier to get treated like one of the men instead of one of the kids? Is it just time that will get me over the hump? Am I missing something? <laughs> uh, all kinds of things going on in there. I mean, first of all, uh, like when I was in the Navy and I would go home and I was 33 years old and married, mm-hmm. and we would be, for Thanksgiving, I would sit at the kids' table with the other kids, <laughs> and we were all 30 years old. You know what I'm saying? It still was like the kids' table, even though we're adults. Yeah. It was still called the kids' table. Hmm. So that's just kind of normal. Are you the youngest? No, no, but it would be it would not just be my family, it would be a bunch of families. Yeah. Right? So a bunch of families would come over for a dinner. Mm-hmm. And there would be the adults and there would be the kids table. So as they like the, your parents' generation, yeah, yeah, they my were parents, the adults. They okay. were the adults. And then the kids, yeah. me and my thirty to forty year old friends <laughs> would be at the kids' table. <laughs> so and, and it's crazy too when you see like you talk about guys in the SEAL teams. A guy's a 34-year-old SEAL. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, he seems like a good kid. 
The dude's right. 34 year old man fighting for his country. I'm calling him a kid. Mm. There's no disrespect. Mm. So I'm talking, not only do I get called a kid, mm-hmm. and with all the people that I grew up with that are grown humans, adult humans between the ages of 30 and 40, mm. getting called kids, mm-hmm. whatever. So he, here's where I'm going with this. As so often happens, this very, this could very likely be in your head, right? Your own insecurities. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because we're, we're, we are insecure, meaning we lack confidence in who we are. In this case, you lack confidence in, I don't know if that's the right word, but you don't feel secure in being a man. So we lack this confidence that people are looking at us. But at the same time, we're at the same time we're arrogant enough to think that people are sitting around thinking about us. Right? They look they're looking at me like I'm a kid. Who cares? Mm-hmm. They don't actually care. They could they could also be thinking, and this is a possibility, again, getting arrogant here. They could be thinking, I wish I was as smart as, you know, Fred. Mm-hmm. I wish I had as much money as Fred. I wish I lived in the city like Fred. I wish I had a nice looking wife like Fred. I wish I had those kids like Fred has. I wish I gotta wake up tomorrow morning at 4.30 to milk the cows. And Fred is driving his Mercedes back to the city. And so what do they do? So who's insecure? They're insecure. But you have that little insecurity too that that's that that you're weak, you're you know not manly, bruh. If you f- here's the other thing: if you feel that way, you're gonna act that way, without even knowing it. So what you do? Here's some cool information: what you do for a living, working in finance, is a cool job that makes money and takes smarts. That you had to work hard to get there. And plus, you train jujitsu and you lift and you can handle yourself physically. So that's cool. And there's a good chance that no one really cares that much. And maybe they have a hint of jealousy in there. Right? Maybe there's a, maybe it's offensive to their egos. Not, not to be arrogant, but that's a possibility. Seals are famous for this stuff. There's some people that told Seth, Seth Stone. Seth Stone wanted to go to Princeton. He's already been in the SEAL teams. He had done his, what had he done? He had done his assistant platoon commander tour. He did his platoon commander tour where he worked for me. Then he went to back again as a task unit commander, a bunch of combat, and he wanted to go to Princeton. Mm. And there were some SEALs that were like, oh, you shouldn't go. It's gonna hurt your career. (laughs) Which is like the craziest thing ever. Hey, it's really gonna look bad if you have a degree in policy from Princeton University. That's not gonna, that's gonna look bad. You shouldn't do that. Instead, you should go take a B billet somewhere, <laughs> pushing papers. Like it was the most ridiculous thing ever. Someone, you know, you need to go on another deployment. Why were they telling him that? Why were they telling him that? They were telling him that because it was just jealousy. It was just thinking, oh, he's gonna have one up on me. Mm. I, I, you know what I told him? I actually told him that. I go, bro, you can finally pull my punk card. You'll be like, hey, shut up, Jago. I went to Princeton. We <laughs> laughed about it. But I was stoked. Like, I know it's going to be helpful. But why would people tell him that? Because 
it's jealousy. So maybe some people are jealous of you. And, and, and cool. Don't rub it in their face. Just be cool. Don't be insecure about who you are, man. Like, you do jiu-jitsu. You lift weights. You work hard. You have a cool family. What? What? This is in your head. That my, my guess is this is in your head. Yeah. My guess is the times it's not in your head, it's because people are legitimately wish they did what you did. Mm. And, they, and so how do, they, how, do they, how do they feel about it now? They resent it. So what do they try and hold over your head? Well, you know, I freaking, I weld all day. Mm-hmm. You just put, you just pack at a computer. Yeah, man. Yeah. If you show that, like, you know, uh, working at a computer is hard too. It's like, shut up, dude. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Just be cool. Be yourself. You worked hard. You still work hard. You do good stuff. This is in most likely in your head. If not, it's jealousy. And you know what? Build some relationships with these people. Build some relationships with them. You know? What can you do to help them out? But but there's no this is a this is a here's a scary indication. You're talking about they what do they say? You're a man, like you're not a man. A man? doesn't worry about what other men are thinking of him. <laughs> so I would just not worry about it. Yeah. I would go kick ass in the world and move forward. Yeah, I think you're, I th- then I don't know, reading just this. Yeah, or yeah. yeah, I don't yeah know, true. But I, you know what I think? What? I think it's all of the above. I think it's in his head a little bit. Yeah. It's in their head a little bit, the yeah. jealousy thing. Yeah. Not not like they hate them and they're jealous, yeah. jealous, but the kind, you know, you feel that when. Hey, I, even just a gentle ribbing. Yeah. Like if I met folks, even if I liked you a lot yeah. and you worked in finance and you had all this money mm-hmm. and I was down here freaking grinding out on the farm, yep. I'd be like, hey, bro, yep. don't get any mud on the Mercedes yeah, as you roll in boy. here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, city boy, what up? Yes, exactly right. And I don't know if he's the youngest brother or what, yeah, yeah. you know, Some but that's a thing there. too. Oh, yeah, that's how it was with my little brother. I guess I used to pick on him and his friends, apparently. I don't really remember. You did that? Yes, mm. apparently. They're I gonna, remember a little gonna bit. They're going to thank me for today on the map. It, we- <laughs> <laughs> it was weird because it was the kind of, and I remember doing stuff to them. Like throwing, we had this cool like valley that you could slide down. It was a grass, like uh-huh. long buffalo grass. You could sl- you get it all wet. And you slide down with a boogie board. It was freaking dope. But I'd throw them down that valley like by their <laughs> neck. So <laughs> he was like four years younger than me, so they're smaller. And I always thought, hey, we're doing it out of fun. Like we're all having fun here, yeah, you know. But yeah. every once in a while, I'd like get reminded, like when one of them start crying or something like this, I'd be like, oh, okay, I pushed it yeah. too far. But it's still in my head, and I I analyze this way later. In my head, I'm like. Oh, I just pushed it too far. Yeah. But in reality, it was like everything I did, it wasn't playing. They didn't want me to do any of that stuff. They wanted me to leave them alone. I was like, no, I'm just, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, the kind of like if they build like a Lego thing, I'd like come in and see them doing that. I just wreck it. <laughs> Dude, Echo Charles, the I, bully comes out. In hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. But my younger brother would be a little bit little bit resentful like in that way as we started to grow up into being grown-ups so one time he and actually one time i came home and he was like losing it on me with every little thing i'd Wait, say this is how old like like old like adults 30 yeah oh, like dang. i'm 30 at this point maybe 20 but adults past mm. 25 
So he'd like lose it on me or be pissed and about just some small little like funny comment. That's something I thought was funny. And after a while, I think he might even told somebody, you know, that, yeah, Echo's always been bullying me Mm -hmm. like a little kid talking down to me and like all this stuff. I'm like, dang, I did not know. And I mean, I knew this much, but apparently. So I'm like, hey, but it it was in his head, though, because I didn't mean it like that, especially as a grown up. I didn't mean it like that. There was a little something in yeah, there, yeah, but, but I, just I having, say the same stuff to Jade. Poking fun, yeah. Exactly right. Just teasing, as you like to say. Just teasing a little bit. But it was in his head, yeah. just like this guy, where it was in his head. And my brother, he's a big, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much it's in this guy's head. Yeah. If he's writing to you about it, yeah. it's, in, it's his in his head. head. Yeah. Um, so it could be like the whole deal, you know, where the, of course, the brothers who are, you know, manual labor guys, equip, you know, heavy equipment operators, of course. And you're coming back from the city to visit with your freaking clean clothes and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to take that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They're going to see your nice wife and nice car. And also, even if they're not jealous, they, that's the good thing to tease. You're, yeah. you're different in yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah. So you're going to get teased. And it's, so it's a two-ish kind of street yeah. that just builds on itself. That's what I think. If uh, Yeah. It's yeah. It is like a confidence thing, right? Oh, it, yeah. it is like what I said about a man doesn't yeah. worry about this. Yeah, You're like hey, yeah, of course I. Well, I went to college to make money. Yeah. yeah, what? Yeah, and keep it in the spirit of without understanding. Being a jer- without hold on, because I don't want you. You're damn right. I. You're damn right. I would call you make more money than you. Like yeah. I'm, that's what I'm talking right, about. Right. That's the opposite. Actually. That's the opposite. Yeah. That's insecurity now lashing out. Yes. Right. Yeah. We want to actually just be cool. You're like, yeah, man, cool. It's how's life. how's it's everything life. on the farm, man? Yep. I miss it sometimes. Yep. What do you mean you miss it? Well, you know, I got to sit in front of a computer all day. It's a pain. Oh, it's a pain? Well, yeah. You know, hey, is it is it nice to relax every once in a while and not have to go out there in the field? Yeah, but guess what? Do that six days a week like I do. You kind of long for the outdoors. Oh, see? No big deal. I'll tell you what he should say. Dang. I'm putting myself in his spot right now, in the spirit of understanding his perspective. Anything that he takes as like one of the, like a comment or this or that, just say it's my gift, it's my curse. <laughs> you know, because he's like a superhero. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, who knows how he's? Because he just said they treat him like a kid. There's so many ways to get treated like a kid, from yeah. verbal yeah, yeah, yeah. to like other stuff or whatever. But you know, it's one of those things where I I think anyway. I mean, let's face it. If he's happy, which it looks like, this is a happy spot to yeah, be in right sure. here. Yeah, man, just be basically absorb all those bullets. Yep, yeah. yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 It's my gift, it's my curse. It's my gift, yeah. it's my curse. What's for dinner? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm buying. Yeah. <laughs> you poor yeah. bastards. Yeah, you guys make it. Yeah, yeah. Check, all right, cool. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for supporting the cause here on the underground. You can get supplements at jockofuel.com. You can get jujitsu gear at originusa.com. You can get a bunch of other cool stuff from jockostore.com. You can just get a bunch of stuff. We got all kinds of stuff for you. And it's a good way. I got a, I wrote a bunch of books. Anyways, you guys know the deal. Echelonfront.com. Hey, we really appreciate the support. We appreciate you allowing us to set up this alternative contingency plan. And that's why we roll out these podcasts for you all. And we appreciate it. So thanks for supporting us in this underground world of freedom. And until next time, Zeko and Jocko, out.